You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli, and uh, with me today, uh, our guest host of the week is um, from, uh, he's a writer for Nerdist.com, as well as the host of Doctor Who The Writer's Room and Awesomely Bad Movies, Kyle Anderson. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show, Scott. I'm very excited for this. Oh, good. That's (laughs) that's good. That's good. Um... So uh, I hate to be like, oh yeah, I'm here, but uh, man, I, I was contractually burden. obligated to do this. <laughs> I had I had a karmic debt to repay. No, I didn't. I'm very excited. Um. So uh. So yeah. So welcome to the show. Uh. And why don't you um tell the kids at home what your background with uh, Doctor Who is because uh, it's um it's extensive as far as like. I don't, you know, there's not, I don't get a lot of people on this show that have watched as much classic who as you have, um, i.e. all of it. Uh, uh so yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's true. I've, I've seen, um, everything that is available. I have watched, uh, at least once. Um, but actually I didn't get into it until fairly recently. It was 2009 when I started watching the show. Um, and that was the new series and then probably, you know, kind of dipping my toe here and there into the classic series. But then really in, in 2010, uh, I started like tearing through it um Mm -hmm. and uh and yeah i mean and i've kind of been following the dvd range so if it was out on dvd in 2010 which at that time wasn't everything that's what i saw first and then i was kind of filling in as the as the range continued or whatever but um yeah it's weird that's something i never thought i would do like when i started watching the show i i well first of all i was like i was watching eccleston's stuff and i was like well i'll just watch this one season because i don't I don't need to get involved. And then I immediately was like, well, I gotta, let me see what the Saber 10 fellow is up to. Um, but then I was like, well, I'll only watch the new series. I'm never going to watch any of the classic stuff. And then I was like, well, let me see. We, you know, it's just this dumb bartering system that I was doing with myself. Um, and I was like, well, I'll never be able to watch every episode. And I mean, 703 episodes later. Um, well, what's funny is it, it always seems like more of a thing than it actually yeah. is when you look at it, because it's like, you kind of look at those classic Who stories as the story is the episode. So, like, even if, you know, like the one we're talking about today, Inferno is seven episodes long, it's still just one story in a season with, like, three other stories. Right, exactly. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it sounds like taxing when you're, when you're like, oh, it's been on since 1963. And it's like, oh, that's, that's got to be a lot. And it's really not yeah, it's, that much. Damn. It just feels like it is. Yeah, when, you know? when you're looking at the, the huge. A ball of them that just sit there and be like, here's every episode. And you're going, mm-hmm. yeah, this seems insurmountable. But then once you start going through, and I think, I mean, the way the DVDs are released is really helpful because it's just individual stories. So you can, you can just kind of do it that way. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I watched everything piecemeal. I never did the, I'm going to try to start from the beginning just because <laughs> that's just the, the, the guy, um, his name is Michael Gorman. He, uh, he has to do in last week's episode and uh, that's what he's doing. So that's why we were only watching our first Doctor story because that's as far as he's gotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I know I know that a lot of people do it that way. And I've I've heard you know they call it the Great Pilgrimage or whatever um, mm-hmm. that they have to you have to do it at some point in your life. And maybe I will, but um, I'm going to wait until we find a few more of those because you know some some of the reconstructions uh, are not easy to watch uh, from from mm-hmm. the missing stories. Uh, you know, some of them are really good. I've been listening to some of the. Um, it, it, as a function of the podcast that I do, the Doctor Who, the Writer's Room, sometimes we'll pick an, uh, a writer to talk about whose work is partially not available. So we'll I'll need to listen to the audio of one. And, and, and you know, sometimes that's really great and sometimes it's boring. But, you know, um, uh, I would really rather, if I can, <laughs> wait until more missing episodes are found. And I'm assuming they will be. This is a completely I have no information, but well, let's just assume that that'll happen. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, because uh, although we did get a couple of really good ones just recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I am so glad that Enemy of the World exists now. Me Ooh. too. I was. <laughs> everyone said that it was dumb, and I never listened to it. And you know, you just watch that one episode that exists, and you're like, I guess this is fine. Um, but yeah, I that was like I was immediately taken by how just engaging that that story is, and mm-hmm. you know. Gotta love the second Doctor. He's he's up there for me as far as Doctors I, go. I think it has one of the best twists in all of uh, Classic Who, honestly. Like, that twist where he just, like, <laughs> where, where Evil Troughton just goes down that tunnel. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, oh, it's so great. You look at any piece of that from what we had, and if you didn't know anything, you'd be like, you'd never think. I bet he goes underground and has a bunch of people he's lying to under there. Never. Never once would you think that. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then you have uh, you have a very particular uh, affinity for the third Doctor, which is why I chose you for this one. Yes, I do. I love the third Doctor. He's He was the one I kind of saw the last because at the time most of his stories were not out on DVD for whatever reason. Um, his stuff ended up being some of the, the last ones released. But uh, I really took to him. I'm a big James Bond fan uh, fan in general. And so I really, I really connected to that kind of aspect of it. I really like... I was a big X-Files fan too. So any kind of like um, earthbound science fiction, I think is really interesting, especially of at that time, early seventies. Um, they did some really interesting stuff. And the one we're going to talk about today was from a season that was really about as realistic, quote unquote, as the show ever got. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, arguably I, I think, I think this season is probably my second favorite of the, of the series mm-hmm. um, behind the, uh, Behind probably like the first or second season mm. of Tom Baker, um, which is yeah, and ooh, that's good stuff. that's that's great <laughs> stuff. And that, I, I'm I'm just the opposite of you. Like I put I put season seven ahead of season twelve and thirteen. But like it's you know it's a uh, it's six of one half dozen of the other. They're all great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, uh, speaking of season seven, we're talking Inferno today, uh, which is the finale of season seven, which is. Um, only, uh, only a four story season, um, which I think this and, uh, Colin Baker's last season are the only two seasons that are that short, I think. Um, well, I mean, as far really as, short season. as far as episodes, as far as, stories. as far as stories go, yeah, all the, all the McCoy ones, I think only had four, four oh, really? stories, okay. but, um, yeah, they were, they were trying to do something really, uh, innovative in quotes, uh, for series seven or season seven rather because hey we can get more money out of stuff if um or we can get more for our money if we have fewer stories if that makes any sense so you know you save right because you costumes you cut right and sets and everything yeah um which was which was you know the big thing with season seven because uh the show was almost canceled and like the whole idea of pertwee in the in the grounded season mm-hmm. um the grounded doctor was all uh just to just to save the show really um they just they sort of had to reinvent everything uh the whole concept and that's all that's what this was uh so that's why when you think about you I'm watching inferno and the whole time I'm watching it I'm just thinking just one year before this was the war games which god I love the war oh, games yeah. but that is a completely different kind of show um yeah. and it's just fascinating to think about that was a year previous to this yeah you look at season 6 and that's when everyone was kind of feeling run down you know scripts were falling through left and right Troughton was really reaching the end of his tether um i mean he was just getting overworked i think there were 45 episodes or something that season it's just too many episodes for a person to do in a year um and, and so they were doing such weird stuff, such kind of out there sci-fi stories from from story to story. You know, you've got the Dominators, which is terrible, um, and then that's followed by the Mind Robber, which is this weird ethereal, out of time kind of uh, strange story that's unlike anything they ever did. And then that's immediately followed by the Invasion, which is eight weeks of you know very grounded, kind of like this. And then you immediately go to the Croton. It's just it's a very strange thing. And then ending with ten weeks of the War Games. Uh, it's like they were all over the place, and and this is probably the most cohesive season seven is the most cohesive season they had done up to that point, and maybe still for a while the most co- mm-hmm. cohesive season because it's all based on Earth. They they put a lot of limits on themselves, um, kind of not by the choice of Barry Letts because when he came in as producer, he, you know, it wasn't his choice any of that stuff, but um. Uh, the limits were all in place and they just kind of had to work around it. And I think they did a really good job of kind of 
you know, you got your alien invasion, you got your um, underground invasion, you got your another alien invasion, and then you've got a parallel dimension story. And yeah. and that's a way to I get you know that's a way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, this this episode uh, Inferno was originally called the Mohole Project, uh, which was the third option um, in in two other stories that were commissioned by uh, by by the guys at, at Doctor Who at the time. Um, the Mist of Madness uh, from Brian Brian Wright, who had never written a Doctor Who story. And um, at the last minute, he left because he took an academic writing job. Uh, and then it was up to Charlotte and Dennis Plimmer, who had also never written for Doctor Who before, but they were going to write a story called The Shadow People. And then they left over pay disputes, which uh, left Don Houghton, um, who wanted to write a story about uh, this article that he read about these drillers who were like drilling into the Earth's crust and then just stopped and left mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like that's weird why would they leave and uh i guess the story just sort of freaked him out and he was like this would make a cool doctor who story um and they agreed but they also said this is seven episodes so why don't you put something else in the middle of it and uh let's and dicks uh, suggested a parallel universe subplot which is as we'll talk about so great but yeah. also so weird like it really out of because most of the time, if you're in most parallel universe stories, I mean, Mirror Mirror is a perfect example. Um, you're you're the whole this whole story focuses around the fact that this is a parallel universe story, whereas Inferno is really about the 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 hole they're drilling and the stuff that's coming out of the hole and the monsters that are coming from the stuff that's coming out of the hole. And the the alternate universe thing is really just sort of like the doctor just sort of stumbles into it and then stumbles back out again. Um, and, and then you have like it's bookended by like the actual story, which is kind of a three part story. Um, yeah, it's such a weird structure. It's totally weird. And it, it you know, his the idea is is interesting just of the the drilling and all the bad stuff happening because of that. But yeah, there's no way it would have been more than a four-part story. But they kind of hedged their bets by putting in this second story. And then you see something which you don't normally get to see in Doctor Who, which is uh, the same situation going badly. Because um, mm-hmm. I think one of the most genius things is not a direct parallel. It's a parallel universe that is a f- a, like several hours ahead or however many, like a day or two ahead in time, um, right. which is just a cool idea that nobody ever really thinks about because everyone thinks it's just a direct parallel. Um, but the doctor sees the, the problems that arise and then he tries to get back so that he can save things from, I, mean, I just think that's such a cool idea. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's sort of the same concept as like, I, you know, actually, it's the same concept of what I just talked about last week with the Space Museum. You know, like, we're seeing our future, now let's go back and fix mm. it. Except that we're not seeing our future, we're seeing a parallel universe's present, and this could be what happens to us if we, if I don't fix this. Um, it's just, it's just such a weird idea. Uh, and I just, I, that's one of the reasons I love Classic Who is because, they don't feel the need to be overly simplistic with stuff. Like when they want to get complicated, they get complicated. And this mm-hmm. is kind of complicated from, from a conceptual point of view, I think. Yeah. I, it's what I love the most about the Pertwee era besides just Pertwee. I think he's a cool doctor and all that stuff. Um, they were never afraid to write a kind of above what their budget was and kind of write above the level that the show had been written at before. There were obviously some great stories in the first six years, but it was definitely, they were aimed more for a younger audience. Whereas these were like, they could do something really scary or really, you know, kind of out there. This story is so bleak and very unsettling because you know, there's the constant hum of the drill in the background and very little music. And it, it's, it's very unsettling. It makes you feel on edge the entire time, which is not fun for kids you know, especially for seven weeks in a row. Um, but it's, a, you know, this whole se- season was very uh, about, you know, issues or about, mm-hmm. you know, intellectual ideas more so than monsters. There were plenty of monsters in it, but 
Um, in fact, there weren't monsters in this originally, and, and Letts and Dix made uh, Houghton add in the, the Primords, which I don't even know what this story would have looked like without them because um, they're kind of the main threat going on. Yeah, they but, needed a physical embodiment of what the problem is by dr- by drilling. Other than uh, It was just going to be, oh, no, bad stuff where, like, you know, people were going to die, and it was going to be a lot more oblique. But, yeah, by having the Prime Wards, which don't really make a whole lot of sense, but I like that idea that, it you know, something ancient and evil is down there, and it, you know, it brings out the primeval and the primordial in a person. Right. Yeah. Um. So, uh... Don Houghton, um, who I, 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 I really like Don, Dan, uh, Don Houghton as a, as a writer, just because like, I feel like I watch this and I'm like, I'm like, man, this just feels like, you know, the bond thing is really present here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to make, I watch this and I'm just like, man, I'd love to see a bond movie where there's like an alternate universe of bond. Um, would that be crazy? Wanted, <laughs> that would be yeah, nuts. <laughs> I, I just want it, but I'd want it to be like a 60s, 70s bond movie. Mm. I wouldn't want it to be a present one. Yeah, that wouldn't work at all. But yeah, 60s, uh, right, 70s exactly. would be great. Oh yeah. Um, but he also wrote the mind of evil, which for my money is the most James Bondy, uh, this era ever gets. Um, like the mind of evil. Oh, I love that. Story. Oh my God. It's great. Yeah. It's he was uh, Houghton was probably I mean, I don't know much about him as a person, but from just judging on those two stories that he wrote, he was very influenced by Nigel Neal and that and and probably um, uh, Ian Fleming as well. So, yeah, he kind of merges them together nicely and you get great action in both of those stories. Yeah. Um, Speaking of action, uh, this is also the first story where we've got uh, we've got the doctor. Throwing down some Venu- Venusian karate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he calls it karate <laughs> uh, in this one. They changed it to Aikido later on. Yeah, yeah, but this is like alien karate. Um, is what they is what uh, Dixon Letts wanted, um, and that's what they got, which is uh, it's fun. It's really fun. Um, also, uh, Petra Williams, um, the, the character was supposed to be played by Kate O'Mara, who went on to play the Ronnie mm. uh, later on. Um, but Douglas Camfield, because she wasn't available, Douglas Camfield cast his wife instead, which meant that when Douglas Camfield, um, suffered from, uh, like a heart murmur, um, late, like, in, like in the middle of filming episode three, his wife had to stay behind while he was in the hospital and film the rest of the story, which is just like, I can't even imagine that. Like her, her husband's in the hospital and she's stuck on this set. I know. Doing this thing. Yeah, this just shows you how professional she is. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Her oh, husband yeah, is, absolutely. you know, heart issues is not something that you just kind of go, oh, he'll be fine. <laughs> I think that's very, <laughs> yeah. it's very telling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so like he had the, this heart murmur and suffered from it. And like, it was, it was getting bad because tensions were rising on the set um, because of the way that he was structuring. Because usually, they would shoot these uh, one episode per week. So this would have happened over seven weeks. And rather than doing that, he decided let's shoot two episodes, two days in a row, and then take two weeks off and then do another two, two, uh, two episodes and then another two weeks off. Um, and that's all well and good, except that he would, he used the first day just for camera practice. Mm. And so they had to shoot two episodes in one day. And, Pertwee was getting very impatient and then just stopped taking direction altogether. Um, and he was dealing with uh, Nicholas Courtney, who originally that was the the, the interrogation scene in episode uh, three, I think, three or four. Um, the interrogation scene was supposed to be alternate universe Liz Shaw, but he demanded that it be him instead um, interrogating the doctor. And so he was just dealing with all this stuff and then he just like collapsed one day um, and went to the hospital and then Barry Letts had to take over direction for three through seven, um, which is, uh, man, that's, oof. and I thought, I thought, I thought Terminus had a rough go going, mm. but this was rough. Yeah. Um, losing your director three episodes in, uh, it's rough. That is rough. That's yeah. That's super rough. Especially when it's somebody like Camfield who kind of runs a ship a certain way. Um, you know, he was, he was a military guy, um, and kind of by all accounts kind of ran his sets that way. And he was, you know, he'd done a bunch of doctor who before in the sixties. Um, yeah. The crusade, the time meddler, 
uh, Dalek's Master Plan, yep. The Invasion, and then he went on to do Terror of the Zygons and Seeds of Doom. We just talked about him with Seeds of Doom. Yeah. He's he's a great director. He's really, he really good. Um, and he did Web of Fear, too, which was just found. So Oh, yes, um, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, he's very... Um, his his direction style is very good for this type of uh, story with action, and obviously all the filmed stuff that you see was him because they do all that first. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't envy Let's at that point because he was just you know he had to come in as a new producer into a situation that he didn't set up, and then in that case he had to direct something he didn't necessarily want to do. Or you right, know, he was just he was just following notes. He was just following notes. So. Um, yeah, you got to hand it to Barry Letts to kind of just be like, all right, here's what we're doing, I guess. Yeah, it's a pretty seamless transition, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like yeah, uh, never Letts... Known. Yeah, Letts, I think Letts really used uh, used uh, Camfield's notes and, and tried to direct it in his style as close as he could. Um, although it helps that all the film stuff was Camfield, because uh, that helps pull everything together. Because that tends to be when they do the craziest direction is during the film stuff. Right. Um but, uh, yeah. Well, there was there's a kind of uh, I want to say it's the the cliffhanger of episode five. I could be wrong about that. When you watch it in succession, it's hard to remember. But um, it's mm-hmm. uh, Professor Stallman's about to hit a button or something like that, and uh, everybody shot in you know it's like a two second shot of each person, kind of close up but low angle, um, and then in the 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 reprise of that in the next week they do it again. I just think that looks gorgeous every time I watch it. It's just so eerie and. Um, you know, you get so tense and it's like, oh, no, it's the end of the episode. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and and, you know, it's it's great. And and he's really good at shooting what I call Pertwee face, which is uh, his cliffhanger face. Where he's just uh-huh. like, oh, no, <laughs> something sci- science fiction is happening to me. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Pertwee did it one of the best, I think. Oh, yeah. They, everyone tried to do it. But I think Pertwee's Pertwee's kind of like. I don't know. I want to call him a hangdog face, but that, he doesn't really have one of those. But his just his eyes just look so worried all the time on those things. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. Yeah, I think every story has at least one Pertwee face, and and has Pertwee eating something in like mm-hmm. just about every story. <laughs> um, it's like he's contractually obligated for both of those things. We just did for. Um, my podcast we did an episode about the writer uh lewis marx and one of the things that he wrote was day of the daleks um which is uh from season nine a couple seasons after this but there's this whole sequence <laughs> where Bertwee's eating gorgonzola cheese and drinking wine and just being like oh it's so delicious he's so like erudite and then they go and they're having lunch or dinner or something with the the fascist dictatorship of the future you know like you do and uh and he's like lounging like he's yeah it's so funny i love how just like oh i don't care he kind of is some of the time he's so that that scene and the scene in day of the daleks when when he uh when he just like walks into the room like sipping some scotch and then just you know future ninja jumps out and he just (laughs) he just uh, yeah and then just goes back to sipping his scotch he's so cool Oh, oh, that's the best. <laughs> it's so great. Yes. Which to um, say nothing of the fact that he shoots an Ogron in cold blood in that. But let's forget that part. <laughs> oh, like, eh, you can't be perfect all the you time. You can't be perfect. Or at least not consistent. No. We're n- um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right. So before we start talking about uh, Inferno. I want to remind you guys at home that we're sponsored by DCBService.com, which is the site that lets you pre-order all your monthly comic books and collectibles and discount your local comic book shop just can't compete with. Use DCBS to place your orders two months in advance and get discounts of 40% off and special discounts up to 50% off. Uh, actually, right now on the website for 50% off is the... the um, the uh, the first issues of uh, the the tenth Doctor and eleventh Doctor ongoing series from uh, Titan Comics, um, they the new number one issues and they're relaunching it. They they uh, they're offering both of those at a fifty percent off discount. So um, make sure that you guys uh, go to DCBService.com and uh, pre order those. And uh, when you do, um, you know you can ship. You can choose to ship monthly, biweekly, or weekly. Flat rate shipping is only six ninety five every time an order goes out. So thanks to, to DCBService.com. Also, InStockTrades.com is the site where you can purchase any hardcover or paperback graphic novel collection that's currently in print at massive discounts of twenty five to forty five percent off. 
And if that's not good enough for you, check back on Wednesdays for new release specials of 50% off every single week. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. All right, Inferno. Um, so, okay, so this this one's hard to, to, to like do a walkthrough. Like we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, so I'm basically just going to throw out what the main idea of the plot is, yeah. which is that you have this bookended uh, sequence where you have this scientist and he's drilling um, just, you know, for science. Uh, just because you can. We've never driven, yeah. drilled this far down before. Right, exactly. Um, and he keeps being warned that the drill bit's going to melt or this and that. And, like, we shouldn't be going this far because we don't know what's going down there. And he's like, whatever. You guys are all dumb. I am the smartest person in the room. And uh, I don't care what any of you have to say. I'm doing this. And uh, and he hates the doctor. Hates him. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, so he does this and this green stuff starts coming out of the hole and, uh, when someone touches it, it burns their hand and they perco- become this green werewolf monster thing called a, uh, a primord, which is only called that in the production notes. Nobody ever says, right. Hey, look at that primord over there. Right. Exactly. They're just green werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it looks like somebody took uh, like the haunted mask from that Goosebumps episode and then just put hair on it. That's kind of what it looks like. That is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> I've <laughs> yeah. never thought that before, but you're absolutely right. Um. So. Uh, so. So they have these things running around, and the doctor's like, "See, seriously, this is messed up." And the guy's like, "Ah, you don't know what you're talking about." Um. As as you do if you're if you're a bad guy on Doctor Who. Um. And uh, and then the doctor's just like, "Okay, well." whatever and then he's like i'm gonna go fix my tardis console because <laughs> right now it's he's he's still got that like memory thing and and he's trying to figure out what the time lords did to his tardis so he's pulled the the console out of the tardis and he's trying to fix it separately and he's got it hooked up to like electricity on this base where the drilling's happening and then the drilling takes all of the electricity and it messes up his, his console so now he's really mad and he goes and talks to the guy again and uh, and then you know like eventually an accident happens and he gets uh, he gets sucked into an alternate universe where uh, the brigadier has an eye patch and no mustache and Liz Shaw's a military uh, crazy military Nazi like chick and uh, it's it's like uh, you know Doctor Who Mirror Mirror universe which what I think is so interesting about the concept of an alternate universe is that. You don't tend to do alternate universes stories this early in a show, which granted, this is season seven technically, but it's really season one of the Pertwee era. Right. It's, it's, it's in color for the first time. It's a completely different show. You can almost say Spearhead from Space is a, you know, if you'd have called this year Unit and just the name of the show is Unit, people would be like, yeah, I, I buy it. It makes yeah, sense. Totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, like, do, you're, you're in your fourth story. Of this new take on Doctor Who and you already do uh, an alternate universe story, which is like it's it's very like gutsy, I think, um, because it's not because the whole idea of an alternate universe story is that you're playing on people's expectations and on their comfort of these characters and how they know them and how they know them to act. Um, and then you're you're reversing that in this alternate universe, reversing the and, polarity, maybe even. Yeah, well. And Pertwee reverses everything. He um, he just is never happy with it going the direction it's going. <laughs> yeah, that's one uh, one hundred eighty degrees. That when we good to go. Yep, exactly. Um, so so it's it's just I think it's a very strange idea mm-hmm. that they're doing this alternate universe story this early on in this new concept of the show, but it it works. Um, it, it does, and like we were saying, it was it was out of necessity that that was born. It, they had an idea, and uh, and it was it was the f- the third idea or the third script that they received, and they it needed to be at least three, if not four, episodes longer um, to make it seven episodes. So they just were kind of like, well, what can we do? What if he tr- he can't go in time because he can't work the TARDIS? So what if there's some weird power surge thing, and he goes through into a, a sideways universe? Right. Crazy, absolutely crazy idea. But then you can explore all of the uh, the 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 problems that uh, the the project is going to face in the real universe, or you know, Prime or whatever you want to call it. Um, but then you can see him not succeeding, 
and and very right. rarely do you actually get to see the doctor fail and uh and even rarer than that you you almost never get to see him then get to fix it um because this is i mean this is one of the most apocalyptic film or films uh, stories that they ever did Be, i mean there's literally an apocalypse going on and he can't save that universe that's one of the few times where he just legitimately can't do it and and he has to go back to the regular universe where he can save it or hopes he can. I just think, yeah, that it's really brave to end an episode with, you know, characters. Granted, they're sideways and not nice characters, but getting, you know, covered in lava and dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. wow, that is dark. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they get for, for what they did to the Silurians a couple episodes before, right? <laughs> it just, like, blew them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah, that, that is a dark ending too. I love that. I mean, that's <laughs> that's, that's a, a great story. That is a great story. But oh yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, they set up with that story, kind of the the rivalry between the brigadier and the doctor. Uh, not rivalry, but that kind of like they co- they come they go in the same direction, but are coming at it from two different ways. If that makes sense, um, right? Uh, and but then when you have the brigade leader who is his character the brigadier's character in the other universe you get to see even worse like he is just a fascist stooge who's a coward also which is something the brigadier is not um mm-hmm. and all because the doctor doesn't exist in that universe that's what the doctor yes decided. i don't i don't i don't necessarily agree with his assessment of that but <laughs> but uh I, I think it's funny that, that the third doctor thinks so highly of himself that he's just like, wow, this just must mean that I'm not here. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, they've never heard of him, so this is what happens to them. Um, and I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's really funny. Um, so, yeah, so the doctor just doesn't exist in this alternate universe. and, uh, and this is Or maybe happens. he does, but he just never left Gallifrey or something like that. Right. He's not on right. Earth at this point. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so he's not around to, to, you know, help them out. And, and, uh, and, uh, now the, the something happened to, uh, the brigadier's eye and he's wearing an eye patch. Mm-hmm. It's got like that gnarly Nick Fury scar. Um, yeah. He's the Nick Fury, the evil Nick Fury. That's <laughs> the yeah. brigade leader. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what happens when uh, Nick Fury becomes British, right? That's exactly um, what happens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or is made to wear a whatever those are called, those hat things that he wears. Those have a name, and I don't know the, the envelope b- hats. Beret, uh, the beret. Thing? No, it's not a beret. That's what he normally wears. Oh, but the oh, brigade yeah. leader wears that kind of envelope hat. I don't know what else you call them. Those. Oh right, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know what you call those either. Yeah. If anyone knows, know. please uh, <laughs> keep it to yourself because <laughs> this is not a live episode. Um. So, so, uh, so yeah, so the doctor fails. I mean, you know, it takes four episodes, but he, he fails and he just basically goes through the motions with these, all these alternate universe characters, um, goes through the motions of a normal story, uh, where the ending is real bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they all die a horrible, uh, death of, uh, Inferno, if you will. And then, uh, and then he, he he's sideways back to uh to the regular universe and he's like okay guys uh this is this is real bad uh it's real yeah. bad uh we need uh we need to fix this because uh i really don't want you guys to die a horrible inferno death yeah um, and he's he's like very worried and very like relieved when he hears that sir keith uh who's christopher benjamin's character isn't dead yet in in his actual universe uh right. he just seemed you know completely disturbed and distraught in the mirror universe it's like <laughs> sir keith gold was my one guy i could turn to but no he's dead in this universe yeah so uh so yeah so he um you know he he saves the day and everything's fine um and then uh and and then we get that last shot of uh of liz shaw which is uh, the last time we see liz shaw for as a regular companion for a while um i think they he just like tosses off like a somebody tosses off a sideways comment in the next story um as to why she's not around yeah she went back to oxford or whatever yeah blah blah um, blah but in reality it was because uh lats and dicks were just like ah eh, she doesn't really work as a companion um which i don't i 
their reasoning doesn't i don't really buy mm. in that like she's like oh she's too smart to be a companion well that's silly guys it's completely um, silly i i think <laughs> lisha is great um because she's not stupid she's not yeah. just some naive you know she doesn't know as much as the doctor and that's fine but she can be of skill and of knowledge she can have mm-hmm. good education and not uh you know they went completely the other way with with um, Joe in the next season who I yeah. eventually have come around to. I didn't like Joe at all at first, but she was so like green and naive in those first stories. And then by the green death, ironically, she, uh, she's a, you know, a fully fledged character and is really kind of matured. Um, right. I mean, I think my problem with, with Liz Shaw is not, it's not her, her character so much as it is their their use of her character, which is that she sort of just becomes like a magician's assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is definitely like like I mean, Pertwee. This is this is his most magician like is this season. He looks like a magician, um, and and she's just like the magician's assistant. Like she she, she just like helps and doesn't really do anything on her own. Like. I wish that they had done stronger things with her as a character um, rather than her just being his assistant. Yeah, you know? I no, I agree with you. I think, you know, there's – she goes off and does some – you know, not interesting. She gets captured, which isn't particularly interesting. But she get, she goes off and does her own stuff in Ambassadors of Death. Um, she right. does go off and do her own thing, but they weren't yet ready to – and maybe that's the – maybe that was the issue that they found and why they needed a Joe-type character is that – she was capable, but they didn't know how to write her capably. They knew how to right. give her good dialogue, and you know she performed it very capably. She wasn't; she acted like a smart woman, um, but th- you know some of the things that she did were a bit silly. You know, running in high right. heels in a short skirt, right, on a, over a dam or whatever that is in *Ambassadors of Death*. It's a bit silly. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. She just didn't have much of an arc. She um, didn't at all. No. No, outside of that first story where she didn't really like the doctor, and then she was like, "Yeah, I guess you're okay." Yeah, yeah. Like, that's <laughs> the extent of her arc, really. Well, she's the Scully of that episode. She's right. She's exactly. And the Brigadier, I guess, is the Mulder, and then the Doctor is nobody. The Doctor, <laughs> the doctor is the Doctor in an X Files episode. <laughs> the, the cigarette smoking man. I don't know. No, wouldn't that be weird? Uh, I don't think it's a direct correlation, but. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. Um, I I almost wish that they had held on to that concept for longer, because um, that could have made a great arc for a character. Mm. Uh, but I guess once you see it one time, I guess you can't be in denial forever. Although that didn't stop Scully, so I don't know. No, that's uh, true. She believe she ceased to believe for such a long time. It was like, come on, you've literally been inside a spaceship. <laughs> you must believe at this point. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Could have been mirrors or something. That guy shape shifted, but I bet he's not an alien. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I like, I like Liz. I think she's a good companion. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. They they could have done more with her. But that this was not a time when they were writing particularly interesting things for companions to do. Uh, Very true. Uh, the um, brigadier was I, lucky I definitely to think, get what he got. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely think that alternate universe uh, Liz is the most interesting thing that they were able to do with mm-hmm. her, which is unfortunate considering like that's not even really her. <laughs> yeah, I mean the actress um, Caroline John got to do some great stuff, and you know for oh, yeah. that matter Nicholas Courtney got to do some great stuff in the Mirror Universe. But yeah, oh, yeah, you, you spend Ooh, most of was, your time with a, a character who's not really there. Uh, uh, the brigadier man, he was he was getting to do some crazy scene chewing, like oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some good stuff, uh, some good stuff. Like toward the end, I think it was, uh, I think it's an episode six where he's just like, he's just shouting at the doctor. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's so afraid to die, which you understand, but it's like he's this hard man, you know, he's gonna torture the doctor and you know, gonna kill him and you know, blah blah blah, and then he's just so easily. Like no, you have to take me with you. Yeah, um, yeah. That w- it's you know, and maybe it's easy to make the villain so cowardly, but it's a complete change of pace. It, mm-hmm. he, I mean, it is a com- it is a mirror, not mirror image, but a you know, an alternate, opposite version. He's Nega Brigadier, right? Which I, which is what makes it work because I think you're right. Like, just it is very easy to make the villain a coward, mm. but the fact that the brigadier is the polar opposite of that is what makes it work um, mm-hmm. really well. It's, uh, it's good. Stuff. Yeah, because even though um, they get, they don't get along in a few times, and and the brigadier does order 
the murder essentially of uh, the Silurians in that story, um, he's still a good man. You understand why he's doing all those things. He's not he's not a petty man. He's not a you know a- anything that the brigade leader is. He isn't. Um, and so then to see him being so not nice, <laughs> but in a way that is completely beyond even the way that the brigadier sometimes isn't nice. It's it is very shocking. I wonder how people took it at the time. I don't know. Although this this is one though, just like the war games where it's where I I think that I could have watched this week to week and been like really interested. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain there's certain classic who stories where you watch them and you're like I have no idea how people watch that week to week. Yeah. Um, and and kept up with it. Well, but this one certain parts of the, the space the, museum. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. The, this one though is like it's it's sprawling. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it work in the same way that the war games was sprawling. Um, and it, it feels like a, uh, it feels like a, a finale. Um, it does. Which is, Absolutely. Which is really great. And that, that, that doesn't happen, um, very often in, in classic who either, uh, you can, you, not all the time can you, uh, point out and be like, oh yeah, that, that feels like a finale. Um, cause they, they usually don't. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the sixties, there was such a small gap in between the end of one season, and the beginning of another, there was right. usually only, you know, a handful of weeks. Um, right. so it really, they never felt like the end of anything. Cause it's just like, just wait a month or two and then we'll be back. But, um, yeah, yeah this one starting in the seventies because it was 25 episodes and then the rest of the year off, mm-hmm. um, you do kind of start getting the sense of this is the end. And I'm, I'm like thinking forward, like the demons feels like the end of a season. And oh, yeah. um, what's season nine's ending. The time monster is terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the green death feels like the end of a season. And, uh, oh, yeah. and obviously planet of the spiders feels like the end of something. Yeah. So um, I yeah. can't even remember if the time monster does feel like the end of anything. It's just terrible, but we're not yeah. talking about that. It's real, real bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, this also it reminds me um, a lot of the uh, uh, that uh, Justice League animated uh, episode, the uh, the one where they go to the alternate universe. Yeah, what's that one called? I forget. It's the it's the season one finale. That's right. Yeah, um, <laughs> where like Wonder Woman has a mustache or whatever. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah, and it's um, God, what what is that one called? Um, it's like the. I don't remember. They do a couple of those like time hopping episodes and they all have similar like time pun punny yeah. titles. So it's hard to remember what they're called. Um, but it reminds me a lot of that um, yeah. with the, with Batman, like being in that cave and everything mm. um, and having all of those uh, rebels and stuff it just reminds me of this. Yeah. I, I wanted um, to ask you something. Um, how do you yeah. feel in general in not just Dr. Who, but in, you know, other science fiction when there are mirror episodes, when there are alternate universe episodes, how do you, do you, do you generally respond to them? Do you enjoy stuff like that? I always, I'm always interested in theory, uh, but there's, there's good ways of doing them and bad ways of doing them. Um, I think this one's particularly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know things like uh, Doppelgangland from Buffy. Sure, um, excellent, excellent. Um, I think that there's just like a lot of of play there, but I also think that there's a way of doing it in a really lazy way as well. Um, and it's when they're lazy that I'm not yeah. lazy about it. When they're just like, oh, let's just put a goatee on this person, and now they're evil. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's the least interesting thing you could do with it's this. totally true and i feel like a lot, i mean star trek is always uh, the various star treks uh we're always mm-hmm. doing mirror episodes and i always find that those are some of my least favorite because there's almost no and and what i alternately what i love about this episode of doctor who and also doppelgangland now that you bring it up is that there's consequences in our universe should something go bad mm-hmm. i don't care about this other universe that does, I mean, obviously it's just going to get erased at the end anyway, but in this one you see it's going toward something bad happening. Then the doctor's pulled away. He knows that he, they're a little bit further along and then he fails and then he goes back. And so we know what's going to happen if he fails the second time. And, you know, uh, which I think is great, but you know, everybody loves that the season series four of the new series episode, um, turn left. And I don't, I think it's it's a it's not a badly written episode. It's a very well performed episode. I just don't care. It's like, who, you know, who cares about if she didn't do this? She did do this, and obviously we know that they're not going to just end the season or you know end the show 
with the doctor being dead. Like mm-hmm. we know that it's going to go the other way. So, um, stuff like that dr- drives me nuts. Cause it's like, I, who, it doesn't mean anything to, to the series. It's kind of like a, a wheel spinning type of episode. And, um, there's, there's certainly some Star Trek episodes like that, but this is one of the few times where it actually works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, um, I think the problem is like it, it all depends on who you choose to go go to the alternate universe. Yeah, and uh, it, it, w- with whether it matters or not. I mean, with Doppelgang Land, it's like, oh, we we sent Cordelia of all the characters, right? Yes, you send Cordelia, and then you kill her halfway through the episode, um, which is just like uh, that. That it just that's the that's a perfect uh, alternate universe story. Yes, like, that's just then you just follow the alternate universe people the rest of the story, oh, and then crazy. they have to figure out how to set it back. Yeah, which is cool, oh, but th- but there again, it, there's real world or our universe prime universe in- implications should they fail. Right. It's not just um, oh crap, we need to get back to our universe. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not sliders exactly. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sliders. Um. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Um. Yeah. So Inferno. Uh, Inferno is just like a really fantastic story all the way around. Um. It's uh. It's stellar stuff. It really is. I mean, it, it's it's it is long, but it, because there's so much going on all the time, and then you throw in the alternate characters, and he's trying to you know explain himself, and nobody believes him, and then he finally starts getting alternate Liz to believe him. Um, mm-hmm. Professor Stallman is a jerk in both universes, which I think is great. Um, <laughs> uh, and then you kind of have you know the other storyline uh, with the good characters in both. Um, uh, Petra and Greg who right you know even though they're under this you know fascist regime in the in the other universe they're still good people and so he can still kind of count on them and they're still trying to help um mm-hmm. which I, I like characters like that too um and their kind of romance is you know maybe a little silly but I think they they do a good job the pair of them yeah I I do have a hard time uh differentiating them um in the two universes yeah because they are yeah they're like basically exactly the same character greg is almost exactly the same in both universes there's almost nothing different about him right um so that's that's a little uh that's a little tough for me Mm -hmm. but um but yes absolutely yeah Uh, i do i do like that stuff um as cheesy as the romance stuff is yeah i mean but uh, you you know i kind of like want them to get together at the end i don't know why i I usually don't care that much maybe it's because doctor who does romance so so seldomly um Mm -hmm. even by with the uh ancillary characters that i was kind of like oh yeah i like them i like those crazy kids yeah and you like them because you know that they've known each other for a while yeah um, and that's the thing that Doctor Who usually doesn't do is they're whenever they do do whenever they do love. Yeah. It's always like they meet, they're instantly in love, and then they run away together. Yeah. <laughs> All in the same story. How many times? Uh, I mean, that happened with Susan. That happened with Leela. That happened with Joe. With yeah. Well, yeah. And then like kind of retroactively with Perry also. Yeah. Uh, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it is dumb. I hate it when well, it happens every time. That's that's one of my my biggest problems with like old movies is that happens way too much in old movies. Oh, yeah. People just are just like they meet and at the end of their first date, they're like, well, so we should probably get married, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that about uh, – I don't know if you saw Frozen, the animated yeah. film Frozen. They make fun of that in that movie, and that was probably oh, one yeah. of my favorite, like, turn turn the tradition on its head type of thing about fairy tales. They're Absolutely. like, you literally just met him. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> possibly think getting married is a good idea. Yeah, uh, exactly. Loved it. Um, so, yeah, you're right about about them, like, because that you get the sense that they've known each other for a while, it, it does help Yeah, that. they've been working um, on it for a while. It's not the companion, you know, it's not King Peladon trying to, to make Joe stay. It's not um, it's certainly not Leela never actually speaking to the guy that she decides to stay with. Um, <laughs> you know, it kind of, I think it works for me in the green death because you, we get enough time with them and it's a six episode, uh, story. So it's six weeks essentially of them getting to know right. each other and then less so, but kind of in the same vein with Susan in, uh, the Dalek invasion of earth. Although I, I do not believe for one minute that the first doctor would just allow his granddaughter to stay, uh, his 16, his 16 year old. Well, I mean, yeah. However old she actually is. 
but oh yeah, she's supposed to be like fifteen, right? Isn't she's like she's really young? She's like, yeah, she's. she's She's a kid. <laughs> she's a kid. I mean, I, I know that uh, Carolyn Ford is like, you know, 23 or right. whatever, but she's supposed to be playing like a 13 or 14 year old girl. Yeah, she's not not very old. And so he, he lets her stay with this guy in a war torn area. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the buildings are falling down, but you'll be happy. It's like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm going to lock you out of the TARDIS yeah. and I'll let you come back in. Or even in Terminus, like when Nissa just oh, decides. Right. To, I mean, it's not for a romantic reason, but she just decides to stay and help these people. It's yeah. like, you know, you could do that, and then the, the doctor could come get you again. <laughs> somebody somebody should really have listened to Peter Davison about his choice of companions, because, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, he, he, he loved this. I was just like, that's my companion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and everyone was like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, those couple episodes of Arkham Infinity with where it's just her are great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely, and and if, and some of the big finish audios where it's just the two of them, I really like those too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The only distracting thing about the big finish audios is that they all sound so old. They do. <laughs> Peter Davison does not sound the same. Uh, Sarah Sutton no. doesn't no. really either, but Davison. She is very sounds. Distracting. She sounds close. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then, like Tegan is real bad. Like, yeah. Her stories are just like, who is that? And then <laughs> they start calling her Tegan. You're like, oh my oh, god, Tegan, really? I guess. <laughs> and now they're doing the the Waterhouse stuff, and I'm like, how are they doing that? He is a grown ass man. It's now. true. He doesn't sound that different though. He could probably really? <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, he sounds older, obviously, but like, I think he could probably pull it off if he pitches up. Caroline Ford, weirdly enough, still sa- can sound the same. She, yeah. you know, she's you know the first companion. She's much older. Um. She, but she has one of those youthful voices. She does, yeah, and she and she pitches up when she plays the character in audio form, and you're like, yeah, I, yeah. I buy that. You know, yeah. William Russell's eighty something, so he has a hard time sounding young, but she does a really good job. Yeah, yeah, but um, anyway, so that's that's this one. <laughs> yeah, it's Inferno. It's great. It's <laughs> it's one of my very favorite. I, I mean, I have a hard time picking a favorite story from this season, but I think mm-hmm. I think it's this one. Yeah, this is this is a really really good one. Um, although I can't recommend it to people, this is a story that you need to earn. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As like I I think so. Like I can't. I don't recommend it to newbies. Like I I like say Inferno is so good, but you need to watch. You need to have at least a half dozen Pertwee stories under your belt before you do it. Um, I don't know because, if that. I mean, well, I mean that, that's as maybe, but like I, I I feel like I just feel like as as a as an appreciation factor. Um, just from the the fact that it's an alternate universe story and it's, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, I see where you're I'm glad from. I waited. Like, this was one of the later Pertwee stories that I watched, and I was glad that I waited because um, yeah. I appreciated it a lot more. Yeah. I think this was actually one of the first that I saw, so I'm kind of coming from, because it was, I saw it um, way before I saw, you know, Ambassadors of Death, but, you know, way before I saw a lot of the, the later stuff, too, but... Yeah, it's it, because it is atypical. I guess you could say that, but it was the fourth one broadcast, so I feel like they thought it yeah. was okay to go forward. And se- season true. seven is so different from the rest of Pertwee that I feel like you That's show true. you show people season seven and then you show them the rest of Pertwee or something like that. Yeah, you could probably just watch like season seven in order, and then yeah, you'd be good. And then you can kind of pick around. You follow the next episode after. Inferno, the next story is Terror of the Autons, which is just the weirdest. Like, it's, I mean, that's Barry Letts directing also, but it's just the most weird shot kind of over CSO'd thing. People watching that are like, this is the same show too? Like, (laughs) every year they're going, what is happening with the show? You get, you get the introduction of the master, Mm -hmm. you get, uh, I mean, Robert Holmes, Robert Holmes, Mm -hmm. good old Robert Holmes. Good old Robert Holmes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, season seven, so good. So good. So good. I I mean, it's like from a quality standpoint, you just look at season seven and you're just like, wow. <laughs> it's yeah, That's, it's, I don't think episode by episode, I don't think it got better than season seven. Yeah. Cause even, even those couple Tom Baker seasons that you were mentioning earlier, which are great. I'm not going to say they're not great, but there's a couple. They always have a dud. There's they always have, a like, dud. Yeah. Dud. Yeah. Yep. Nope, you're totally right. Um, I I think I think you're right from like a percentage standpoint. Like yeah. nothing nothing tops this season. Nah, uh, for sure, for sure. 
Um, all right. Well, uh, well, that's that's Inferno. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, uh, thank you for joining me, Kyle. Where can uh, where can people uh, find you and and you know plug plug plug? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at functional nerd. Um, I tweet a lot of weird stuff. Um, you can read my work on nerdist.com. Um, I write various columns. I write a column about bad movies called schlock and Awe. I write a, I've been doing a column about Batman, the animated series, um, mm. which has been a lot of fun. And I do, uh, the weekly Blu-ray and DVD column, um, on Tuesdays. So those are just, and if you see, if you ever see anything, Dr. Who on, on Nerdist, that's true too. Uh, yeah. It's probably, it's very, very likely it's me. Um, I also do uh, a podcast called Dr. Who, the writer's room where once a month, my co, uh, co-host Eric and I pick a writer, uh, from the classic series and go through all their stories. So uh, the one that just came out, the uh, and they come out the 15th of every month. The one that just came out on April 15th is uh, Louis, uh, Louis Marx or Louis Marx, um, who did four stories from the 60s and 70s. Um, so that was an interesting and fun one. Uh, the next episode we're doing for May is actually we're just, just going to focus on uh, the Unearthly Child serial because so many people worked on it and it's kind of that important. So... That's where we'll come from from that. And then I also, I have a web series um, going back to making fun of bad movies called Awesomely Bad Movies. Um, There's about 12 episodes out now, um, which you can find at Modern Primate. It's a YouTube channel, which is just Mod Primate, um, in which I basically make, you know, take the piss out of a movie, if you'll excuse the the expression, kind of older um, sci-fi or horror movies. So those are all the different ways that you can... uh, look at or listen to me and my mm-hmm. gob uh and i highly recommend your uh, companions companion articles thank you so much yeah i did uh, uh, leading up to the 50th anniversary i was crazy and decided to do an article about each of the 34 different seasons worth of uh stuff there was and uh i think they came out pretty well so yeah you can read those at nerdist.com all right. Uh, well, that's that. Uh, if you have thoughts you want to share about this episode, find the post uh, to it on the doctorscompanion.us and leave a comment. Send us an email at tdcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, check out my other podcast, uh, The Mind Robbers. Um, well, my, both of my other podcasts are both on mindrobber.net. Um, and uh, The Mind Robbers is our flagship podcast where myself and my co-host Matt Smith uh, talk about Whatever entertainment thing that we've consumed in the past week, um, we just sort of uh, we just talk, we just kind of catch up um, every every couple of weeks, and uh, and then we do uh, we have like a main topic, which is usually some sort of television series that has uh, has just ended its season or something. We look back at the season, and then we do we alternate a movie pick. Um, this week, this past week, we just did Blood Simple, um, and Justified, uh, the last season, of, the previous season of Justified, season five, I think. Um, so we just talked about that in the last episode. So check out the, the Mind Robbers for that. And then the Mind Robbers Versus is sort of like a companion show where we pick a series that we want to talk about episode to episode and we cover every single episode of that thing. Uh, season one of the Mind Robbers Versus was the DC Animated Universe. So we talked about every single episode of Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and Batman Beyond. Whew, what up? What a job that you undertook. Yeah. That is yeah, crazy. It took a year and a half yeah. to get through I'll all bet of it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do we do uh, two episodes a week. Um, and in each episode of the podcast, we cover two episodes of the show that we're talking about. Um, season two was Veronica Mars. Sure. Uh, the Mind Robbers versus Veronica Mars, the lead up to the movie. Um, so we did every episode of Veronica Mars and then the movie. And we just recently uh, did like a little special on uh, on the book that just came out, The Thousand Dollar Tan Line. Hmm. Um, so we did that and then beginning in May, uh, season three is going to start off, um, and we're doing the Joss Whedon quadfecta with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and Dollhouse. Um, now I have a question. Are you going to, there was those couple, that one year where Buffy and Angel were like companion shows. Are you going to watch it in that order? Yeah. When we get to Angel, we're doing the first three seasons of Buffy and then we are doing, um, every week we're going to do a Buffy episode and an Angel episode. Um, so that the crossovers will work the way they're supposed to. Very good. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we had to do it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even. When I watch when the last time I rewatched the show, I think I've rewatched both of those shows like three times, and every time I do, like I I have to watch it like that. Yeah, I can't. And whenever so when I'm trying to get someone to watch it, and I'm like, now when you get to Angel, you basically just have to watch one episode and then one episode. People are like, what? That's a lot of disc disc changing. I'm like, but it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the Joss Whedon quadfecta that starts, uh, starts in May sometime. Um, we're trying to get ahead of the game and, and, uh, build up a back catalog so that if we get lazy, we can get lazy and it doesn't hurt the show. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> trying to, trying to build up a buffer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that should be coming really, really soon. So go to mindrobber.net to check those out. Uh, and then if you're on Twitter, follow at TDC podcast. So you'll know the second a new episode hits. Um, or you can follow me at my personal account at Scott Corelli. Uh, and then, and then Kyle, as he said, was at functional nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the show, do us a favor, review us on iTunes, and most importantly, uh, be our street team. Tell everyone that you know about us. Tell Twitter, tell Facebook, tell your friends, tell your grandmother, um, and uh, and just uh, you know, say hey, listen to this. It exists. <laughs> hey, grandma, um, grandma, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, you were, you were, you remember the third doctor, right? Um, anyway. Uh, so next time we will be back with uh, Nick Jimenez as my guest host and we'll be talking uh, David Tennant in The Unicorn and the Wasp uh, so we will, we will talk to you then uh, bye bye